Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On the show, we talk about the system that we use to get clarity on our goals, certainty on how we're going to reach them, and wealthy on our turns by rigging the game in our favor. And we share it here because we want to help you reach your goals on your terms. You've been told to scale and buy all these products from every each way, often from good-meaning people. So it's not your fault when you look around and wonder, why am I not where I want to be in my business? And as our mentor and business partner, Dan Nicholson, has said, the biggest risk is that we don't get what we want out of life. It'd be a massive shame to go through all this effort and not have anything to show for it. So also got my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club here, Mr. Paul Sparks himself. Not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. So guys, if you get value out of this show, please hit the subscribe button right now. That way we can help more people become wealthy on their terms. Title for today's show is how Elon Musk rigs the game in his favor, and you can too. But before we get into it, six-word updates. What you got, Paul? Six-word update today. Offer submitted on new triplex development. So um had a lot of deals for the last couple of months. I'm always antsy. Like I just, I, you know, that's one of my biases. Like I just, I want the next deal. Like I'm on the hunt mm-hmm. and we've had to say no to quite a few deals. But uh, yesterday we finally submitted an offer on a triplex in Sloan's Lake, which is the, you know, my favorite neighborhood in the city. It's a, it's a really high end neighborhood. So um, hoping that gets accepted and I'm in the process of raising money. So I'm looking for more investors. We've tapped out on our own money, right? So yeah. now we're looking, we want to do more deals. We've got to raise more money. So yeah, if you guys have heard us talk about solvable problem on this show, obviously one of the things that I do is I help my private lenders accomplish their solvable problem through real estate by passively invest investing in my deals. So if you are looking to passively invest in deals and you want to learn more about how our program works, reach out to me. I'd love to share more about these next couple of townhouse projects and uh, how that works and how you might be able to partner with us on those. Awesome. Perfect. Subtle plug there. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're all good. Uh, for me, my six word update is time and randomness are undefeated. You know, we had a scenario that happened this past weekend where, you know, some people RSVP for the wedding and don't show up. Some people don't RSVP and do show up. And we're like, where do we put everybody? And I'm not a wedding event coordinator, right? Uh, and so we're like panicking. Like, where do we put these people? And it's like, oh, wait. If we just wait until the party starts, we'll know who doesn't show up and we can just put those people over there. Right. Mm. So we're like stressing to solve this problem. And all we had to do was just wait. And the solution presented itself. So mm. time and randomness. Well, let me add something to that. It's so interesting, that concept. And for whatever reason, I was, and this is going to get real meta deep real quick here, yeah. but like, the universe is infinite and ever expanding. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's like, when you think about time and randomness and the fact that we're here and existing, you know, with Mm -hmm. a, with long enough time, uh, every outcome is possible. Right. So I think a lot of times, like what I love about that is a lot of times, like if you just wait and allow random things to occur, um, and put yourself in a position to benefit when random things occur. That's sort of what we're going to be talking about today is, mm-hmm. you know, these first principles. Um, but yeah, that concept of time and randomness, it's just, it's so relevant to so many things what we do. And it's, it's one of the first principles that we're going to talk about. 
Yeah, definitely. And yeah, uh, as we we're going through it, right? Like I'm making executive decisions at my brother's wedding with the risk of the father of the bride being really pissed off. But, you know, decisions need to be made. So Steve's going to make those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> but it all worked itself out. Here. Yeah, the, 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 it all worked itself out in the very end. All right, so Elon Musk raised the game in his favor. Well, the problem is that the top 1%, I would even say like it's probably only maybe available to the top like 0.1% of the world. They have a different way of solving problems, mm -hmm. right? Uh, than the rest of the 99% of us. And I think that is ultimately like the problem is like, we're just not, we're just not a, made aware of this way of thinking. Right. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Well, if you look at like, um, you know, uh, Albert Einstein, right? Arguably the most intelligent man, man ever on the planet, right? Arguably, I don't know who else there is, is in the argument, but in the competition, but you know, a lot of people say he's the smartest guy of all time. And he said, if I have an hour to a uh, problem, I'm going to spend the first 55 minutes coming out, coming up with the best possible questions. And then the last five minutes coming up with answers to those questions, right? This is the smartest man ever. But what do we do? We ask a question, one question probably. <laughs> to like five to 10 of our peers and then just run with that answer. Hmm. So, um, well, and Einstein, I mean, let's give, let's give some examples and well, maybe we start by explaining that we're only privy to this mm -hmm. information because of Dan. Um, and we're going to talk about a concept today called first principles. And we'll, we'll dive into that. But, you know, Dan Nicholson, for those of you guys who aren't familiar with him, he's our business partner. He wrote this Wall Street Journal, Rigging the Game, which we talk about almost every time we're on this show. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we do that, because it's extremely powerful. Well, Dan, his mentor. Well, so Dan worked at Microsoft with Microsoft in the early 2000s, and he was. Uh, consulting with Microsoft and how to build their treasury programs. Dan has a background in accounting. He runs one of the top accounting firms in the nation. And through that, he came to meet a guy named Randy Massengale. Randy was the, the senior advisor to Bill Gates throughout the early 2000s. No big deal, mm -hmm. right? A small <laughs> fee. This guy is advising Dan to this day. In fact, I got to spend six months with Randy as we went through this CCA program and this all stems from how the top 0.1% of the world reasons. When you look at someone like Bill Gates, and in the early 2000s, he was you know, trying to figure out how to diffuse this little thing called the internet, right? How do we get people to use the internet? How do we build the infrastructure? How do we make this um, useful to people? Yeah, get internet uh, to the masses. Exactly. How do we diffuse it into the masses, right? How do we get it out of the, the innovators in the early adopters phase and get it into the early majority and all these different things? Um, same thing with Elon Musk, right? Like mm -hmm. he's building rockets to try to go to Mars, right? He's, he wants to go to Mars. Um, Bill Gates wanted to diffuse the internet. Albert Einstein was figuring out the law of relativity, theory of relativity, all this type of stuff, right? Yeah. Like 
stuff that had never been done before. They can't rely on knowledge and experience because yeah. if you're trying to go to Mars, no one's ever done it before. No one knows how to do it. Right. Right. So, so we're going to talk a little bit today about how those people at the top, how they reason from what we call first principles. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the case study, right. The one I, I read was Elon wants to build a rocket. No big deal. Right. So what does he do? He evaluates what's done so far. He looks around. Here's how much it costs to build a rocket. And the numbers he gets are entirely, entirely unacceptable for a private company, right? Good enough for the federal government. U.S. government has an unlimited budget. It doesn't matter what it costs to build the rocket. They're building the rocket. But he looks at it like there's no way we can go to Mars with this budget. So, and he asks around, he asks his engineers, he asks other engineers, right? Like, what is it, like, how can we build a rocket for significantly less cost? And the answers were, no, that's just the way it is. That's the way it's always been done. You guys ever hear this, right? Like, you're talking to someone, like, how to do this? Like, well, like, you question something. Hey, you know, slow down. Like, this is the way it's always been done, and it's the way it will always will be. Well, that was an unacceptable answer to Elon. So he's like, okay, well, what's involved in building a rocket? Just break it down to the core elements. And when I say elements, I mean like the chemical <laughs> elements, right? What do you need and what can we buy that for? And he found instead of hiring and building the way the, U the U.S. government does it, from this vendor, this vendor, from Boeing and all these other major in, uh, military contractors, we can just buy all the elements ourselves at wholesale prices and just rely on our engineers to build it better than the government can. And he was able to, I think he was able to build it for less than 20% the government pays to build a rocket. And he did that with uh, SpaceX. With SpaceX. But, but there's another component that we should touch on too, which is that, and that is, that is exactly right. Like boiling it down to the core because Elon is, he's just such a great example of, well, of course, maybe let's go, let's go collect the information, right? Let's case, let's see what's been done. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone else is telling him, of course, well, this is how it's done. Remind you of anything in real estate, right? <laughs> this is how it's done. Well, you know, by breaking it down to the core fundamentals and reasoning from the bottom up, again, what we call first principles, he was able to do that. There's another point around batteries, Batteries was were a key missing component for what he's trying to do. He's he's trying to colonize Mars, right? Yeah. I mean, what a freaking goal to set. You know, a lot of times we think we have high goals. It's like that's a pretty that's a pretty high goal, lofty goal to say. Yes. Um, and so the problem was that the batteries at the time were not capable of doing what he needed to do. So the question was like, and you, you mentioned it like with the rockets, right? We boil it down to the basics and he did that with rockets. But then he also said, well, crap, I need batteries. Mm -hmm. Like I need a battery that can support this. And it just was way too cost prohibitive to build an entire giant building and make all these batteries. Like 
the economies of scale weren't there. Yep. And then, so, you know, you, go ahead. Well, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll just say like, and you know, like, again, just reading that one paper, particularly, uh, you know, he talked about like, he was a PhD student in physics. And he's like, yeah, you know, that wasn't for me. But the one thing I learned was the concept of first principles. And that's what we're talking about here. So you're mentioning, um, it's not just Elon, it's not just Bill Gates, but there's a handful of books you've read on this. Yeah. Um, I got a lot of books on this and this is like what I spend my time reading. I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like Ray Dalio's book principles. Yeah, the only the most successful hedge fund manager of all time. Exactly. I mean, the guys at the top, they're reasoning from principles and frameworks from the ground up. You know, I've got, I, I even, you know, the daily stoic, like stoicism has been around for years and years and years and years, thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Right. So these what I like about stoicism is they're talking about fundamental truths of humanity and people. We have one of my all-time favorite books, Anti-Fragile, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He's talking about fundamental principles, first principles that exist in the world. Um, Robert Greene talks a lot about like the 48 laws of power, the laws of human nature, different stuff like this. You have Robert Caldini, who's talking about influence, right? Mm-hmm. Daniel Kahneman, who we reference all the time, talking about thinking fast and slow. I mean, there's all these examples of authors and people over the years who are writing about their principles, the laws that they've observed about humanity or about the world and different things like this. And if we can learn to sort of adopt that mindset, like all of these people, what they've done is they've given language to all of their principles and tools, and they're describing how they reason from the ground up. Right. And that's what I, I think that we're trying to convey with this show, right, is that's what rigging the game is for us. These are the first principles that we use to guide our decisions in the same way that all these authors and Elon Musk, right, he's doing, these guys are doing the exact same thing. And that's the difference in my mind that separates the 99% from the 1%. Sure. So then uh, hopefully, you know, if everyone is listening, like they kind of get an idea, a feel of what the first principles mean. So how does this even apply? So we talked about the what what it is so like let me finish let me finish my like elon musk example because he needed batteries Mm -hmm. so so this isn't a great example so what does he do he can't go just build batteries for his rockets and so so what he says is like i'm gonna go build a car and i'm gonna price it like what was the first model tesla was like the roadster or something yeah they had the tesla roadster it was an exotic car it looked like a, a lotus exactly yeah and he's pricing it at like a point that it's it's not mass market. It's it's just for people that like think it's super cool. People with stupid money. People with stupid money that think it's cool. Yeah. Why? Because we can't make a mass market product until we've got like traction, right? Mm-hmm. Can we even sell these? So like he used Tesla as a way to create this high-end product that turned into, what is it? The mall? I'm not familiar with Tesla. Yeah. So they went with the, they went with the, the Tesla Roadster and like for like four or five years, they kept working on the next car, which was the Tesla model S and the Tesla model S was prohibitively expensive when they first came out. I still remember like test driving one. It's like, I'm going to buy one of these one day, right? The Tesla model S, it was like 135 grand for the performance model, you know, they had the model S and then over time, they're able to get the cost down. They got the Model X. And then 
the Model 3, which I own, they were able to finally get down the Model, the Model 3 out. And the Model 3 is basically the size of a BMW 3 Series for $35,000. Mm-hmm. Right? So you went from like an exotic car to a super expensive sedan, sporty sedan, kind of, right? To an SUV, to a Model 3. Mm-hmm. And that he went through these iterations to get more and more reach so that they can have more and more funding proof of concept. And, you know, it's actually pretty fascinating, right? Like the things that they're using, it goes both ways. The Tesla cars are helping with the, the, the SpaceX research and the SpaceX research is helping with the cars. Like the, right. like the performance is improving because we're using rocket technology now in these cars. I mean, and, and he's such a genius for this because what he's done is he, again, like you want, so you want to get to Mars. Okay. What are the components at the very fundamental level that we need to get there? You can see how he, all of his actions are helping him get closer to what he wants without chasing more, right? He micro-stepped it. I mean, we talk about this certainty operating system all the time. Like he micro-stepped it. He put, he went out and put it out as like, I got this really expensive car. Really not exactly like practical. Who wants it? And a bunch of people were like, yeah, I want it. Then of course, he got traction with that. It justified making a car a little less expensive. The economies of scale got better. Now he's got a mass market product. And the cost of batteries for him have gone way down, right? In Sparks, Nevada, I think is where it was or uh, wherever he's got his plant. Um, the only reason he, and he needed to make a bunch of batteries. He needed to, you know, kind of have that economies of scale. And it's just brilliant how he rolled this out, how he couples SpaceX with Tesla, which are these customer facing entities, but really they're just components to help him get to Mars. And that to me is just so beautiful, like how he's designed this and engineered this. That's what, you know, that's what Gates does. That's what Bezos does. They're designing this system with these components, reasoning from the ground up. And, you know, I bet if they read rigging the game, they'd be like, that is all spot on right yeah i think uh solving super complex problems everything we're talking about here all started using the concepts of first principles yeah and if it's like oh i want to go to mars okay what should i do well um if you go out and seek consensus from everybody else from the 99 percent of people out there we probably would never we will never get there Right. Right. It takes someone that understands this concept of, you know, reasoning from first principles. And so, yeah, exactly. How does this apply to us in real estate? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, in my experience, right, we're talking about the questions we always get from a newer wholesaler is like, how do I, what list do I pull? Mm. How should I reach the homeowner? What dialer should I use? What texting platform should I use? And these aren't bad questions. These are reasonable and fair questions. But if you break it down to what the fundamental business we run, it really comes down to two things. How do I get a house to buy? And what do I do with that house when I get it? Everything boils down to those two things, right? How to get a property to do something with, what do I do with that property? 
And, yes. you know, because what do I do depends on your preferences and so on. So I like to wholesale properties. That's my preference on exiting it, right? But we could flip it. We could wholesale it. We could innovate it. Uh, we could list it. Um, you might develop it. You might bring in a developer and you just source a private. There's so many things you can do with the property, right? There's no shortage of ways and there's no right way unless you listen to some of the gurus and there is a right way. But generally speaking, there's no right way. It's all dependent on what makes sense for you. Sourcing the property, right? Uh, we just had Brian uh, Driscoll on the show. You know, he's got motivated leads. He has a paper lead model. Uh, there's people that cold call. There are people that text. They send direct mail. Um, door knock. Uh, TV ads. Google. There's all these different ways to do it. But they're all solving the same problem. How do I get a property that I can do something with? And for me, I think that's the most fundamental. If, if we can break it down from those two to just one, I'd love to hear it. But for, in thinking about it, I can only think of those two fundamental uh, truths in our industry. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, I think that I think of how do we solve technical problems in our business? Mm -hmm. The other is how do we make sure that our decisions are getting us closer to the life that we want to live, right? It's more of a, uh, um, you know, designing your lifestyle versus designing a technical feature inside of your business. And I think it, if, if I'm, it all comes back to what do you actually want, right? This right. is the fundamental truth. When we talk about first principles, closer versus more is the number one first principle that we try to reference because and, and that's the same thing Elon Musk did. Like, what is the solvable problem here? Hmm. Him, it was, it's a technical thing and it's a life thing. Like, he wants to get to Mars. That's the problem that we're trying to solve. Okay, great. The first question is, does this help me get to Mars? Or is this just like, again, like by making Tesla, you might look at that from the outside and think that he's trying to sell cars. Right. What he's really trying to do is get to Mars. Yeah. So the question is like, when we talk about how does this relate to real estate? Well, so what should I do, Steve? You know, let's talk about lead gen. Well, what should I do? Should I do cold calling? Should I do agent outreach? You know, direct mail, all the things. I guess the, the first question is, what helps you get closer to what you actually want in life? There's trade-offs to all of these things. Right. So for example, direct mail. Sounds like a great option. And maybe you see somebody else having success with direct mail and you're like, wow, I want that success. Mm -hmm. But what you don't realize about direct mail is that you got to make sure the phone number's right on the postcard. <laughs> we talked about this before. I made that mistake. <laughs> you got to make sure that you're answering the thing that the, if you don't, the, the value of that lead has just dropped by like 90%. I was going to say at least 80%. At least 80%. Yeah. So, so if you're just looking at it from like, well, this guy's had results or this, this girl's like having a lot of success with direct mail. Well, first principles asks like, well, does this, by doing this, does this help me get closer to what I want? Mm -hmm. And we also have a framework that says case. So let's collect the information. Maybe it's like, let's reach out and interview people. What does it take to be successful with direct mail? Yeah. And the question has got to ask, right? Um, Cause People always ask, like, what should I do first? And the answer to me is, like, I don't know. 
like, which is not like a very encouraging answer, but it's like, I'm not sure about what your situation is and I'm not sure what your preferences are. Do you have a lot of money and a lot of people ready to answer the phone? Well, if you don't, then maybe not direct mail. Do you have a lot of time, but not a lot of money? Definitely not direct mail, right? Like we can kind of steer you. But the other thing too, like the first thing is like your, your actual situation, time, money, resources, and all these other things, right? What the currencies you have. But the other thing, which I was talking about last week uh, when I was at, at CG Select was uh, like, you got to know you. What are your tendencies? What are your behaviors, right? Here's the one thing, you know, we talk about building a business that suits your life. I've got multiple businesses, multiple businesses here in this building, which is great, cool, you know, to say whatever. But the reason why I have this and so many people here is because I'm really good at starting things, but not finishing things. And yeah. so it's better to have a bunch of people with what I have in vision versus me trying to come with a vision and execute it. Mm -hmm. your preferences are super key and that's preference right you're designing it around your preferences and this is the problem is we haven't slowed down to get clarity on like what do we actually want what are our preferences mm -hmm. because let's say for example um your goal is to design a life let's say i'm just going to make up an example here right uh you want to travel the world. You want to have six months a year where you, you want to have a lifestyle business. No judgment there. I want a lifestyle business, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but if you're looking at the lens of what does Steve, what should I do? What should I do? Well, if Steve doesn't understand that what you really want is to travel six months out of the year, then, you know, he might make a suggestion let's just say you want a lifestyle business you want to travel six months a year right and you come to me steve what should i say oh it's easy right you got to hire all these lead managers all these acquisition managers you gotta have vas texting for you um you gotta have people scheduling appointments all day every day and when we're talking about scaling you gotta have this massive overhead and you're like but if i do all these things i can't travel six months out of the year i was like what's wrong with you Right. Why do you want to travel six months of the year? Because I'm now projecting my preferences onto you. Everybody does that, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's what we mean by reasoning from first principles is like, well, uh, what's the most important thing to you? Well, it's to be able to, you know, be home by 5 p.m. so I can spend time with my wife and kids or whatever. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, the phone rings after 5 p.m. I wouldn't be doing TV ads that run in the evenings then. That's right. So it's like, well, let's take a look at all the different options that are out there. Cold yeah. calling is a little bit more direct, right? Like, yeah. I'm calling you. You're not calling me. Right. We can control and, when that conversation is occurring. Yeah. So it's like not none of this is right or wrong. And it's just like there's not a right or wrong way to go to, to, go to Mars, yeah. right? Like, it's all based off of like, what are we trying to accomplish? How do we implement certain tools and frameworks so that when we make decisions, we have bumpers as Nick likes to say, right? He mm -hmm. wrote a book called bumpers. And that's what, that's what that means to me is yeah. let's set up just like a bowling lane. Let's set up the bumpers around our life so that we don't get off track as we start, you know, gathering information. We are still 
making sure all of our actions are getting us closer to what we actually want in life. Because again, what we talk about on this show is designing a business around the life that we want to live. We yeah. think that that's really important. And I guess we're probably making that assumption too, that mm -hmm. everybody else finds that important. Yeah. So let's just state that plainly. That's what we're solving for is a life worth living and a business that helps us achieve that. Absolutely. So let's just go back, you know, a few years here. Uh, Lee Sherpa was huge for years, right? Jason Nickel, the founder, right? He saw a problem, right? Hey, what if there was another way to connect with a homeowner outside of direct mail, outside of cold calling, right? Outside of door knocking. And I don't know for sure if Jason Nichols is the first one to figure it out, but he was definitely the most prominent one to figure it out, right? There's also Roar, right? Those guys that figured out Roar. So this is an order we're talking about. The fundamental question is, how do I get a prop that I could do something with? These guys figure it out. Oh, we can text these people to get in front of the homeowner, right? That is a function of asking uh, the first principles question. Or this isn't quite first principles, but you know Jason Lewis with Investor Machine, Whale Club member, right? We love that guy. That guy is a, is a rock star. He started Investor Machine because Audantic was not available to him in Salt Lake City, right? He wanted Audantic. They said no, it's sold out. He said, okay. Well then, how else can I get in front of the homeowners? Mm -hmm. Oh. I would just pull public records from the county and I'll just do it. I'll just have VAs pull the data from the public records and just do it on a regular basis. Right. And so as he was doing this, other people were like, Hey, what are you doing? Can you do that for me? And boom, a new business was born, which is investor machine. Um, I started, what's that? Time, what's, what's that? That's that time and rain that's showing up again. Yeah, right? And then for myself, I know when I first, I remember uh, for everyone that's listening, I started on the realtor side. And on the realtor side, I was in the Craig Proctor coaching program. And one of the best lead sources for uh, realtors in the Craig Proctor coaching program, one of the best, not the best, but one of the best, was House Buyer Network. And House Buyer Network was basically a pay-per-click site, right, uh, for getting seller leads. And I looked at it and said, oh, hey, this works for other people. I want to do the same thing too, right? This is not first principles here. But like, hey, if that works for other people, I want to do the same thing too. And they said the same thing to me. Hey, Steve, sorry. Phoenix is locked out. You can't do this. Hmm. So then I go and I teach myself pay-per-click marketing, right? I go through, read the books, set up my own pay-per-click campaigns. And now I'm buying houses, and, you know, this is the story of me getting into wholesaling, right? Uh, but this now is basically me versus Sean Terry buying houses on, on Google Pay-Per-Click. I didn't know about, so I didn't, definitely didn't invent it, right? Sean Terry was already doing it. As a matter of fact, I've kind of referenced before, I basically just copied and pasted his website and, and all his keyword campaigns, right? But then I took that to the realtor side. And when I took that to the realtor side for buyer leads, no one was doing that. So mm -hmm. I, my understanding is I'm one of the first guys in the country doing pay-per-click marketing for house uh, for finding potential home buyers, right? And this all goes back to first principles. Here's the objective. How can I do this? 
I want to find people that want to buy houses. I've since learned pay-per-click marketing is pretty darn cool. No one's doing it. Let me go ahead and start that. And that's how I built my entire brokerage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's cool to see that too, because especially with the pay-per-click thing, you know, and anytime you're doing something new, what do you think they said to Elon Musk? It's like, you're going to, you're going to experience, Dan calls it the two tyrants of leadership. Mm -hmm. He calls it scrutiny and expectations. Like just realize that if, if you're taking this route, you're in the 1%. And you're going to experience a lot of scrutiny and expectations. You're going to hear a lot of like, yeah, but that's not how we do it. Mm -hmm. Right. But we've always done it this way. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. Get ready to be scrutinized and also get ready to experience all these expectations. Um, Now that you've, uh, well, Yeah, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but anytime you're doing something new, if you choose to adopt this framework of thinking and we feel this is the best way to think, you have to be prepared for scrutiny and expectations. It's going to come with it. Well, I got another story. We're talking about that, right? If you're going to put yourself out there and be the pioneer, get ready for the arrows to come behind your back, right? So, you know, uh, I've mentioned before, Pace Morby is a good friend of of mine, right? And so, you know, while we were both growing our wholesaling business, he was a homevester guy and he was the first homevester guy. He was definitely not the first guy in the country using social media to get deals. He was definitely the first homevester guy. And you know, Pace is one of those guys where if he goes all in, it's a done deal. He's all in, right? So he took experience from his general contractors days from Instagram that was generating all these contractor leads for him. Right. And he used that same thing to get wholesale leads. And so he's getting like, hey, people come visit me in town. I'm going to take you to appointments, this and that. And he's getting deals sent to him left. And he walked in. It was like an intervention. And they're like, we don't like what you're doing, right? We do direct mail. We do billboards. That's it. Oh, and TV ads. That's it. We know we say we want you to go get more business, but not like this. This is hurting all your peers and homebusters. So you got to stop doing it. And that's when he left. Yeah. Because the expectations are that you do it the way that the rest of us do it. Mm-hmm. We, as a, as a, like a species, we're so, uh, it, when somebody separates from the pack, the rest of us get this sense of like, I'm getting left behind. Mm-hmm. Oh, the tribe right? hates it. The tribe hates it when someone tries to, to do better. That's right. So, just know that that's coming. Like I said, if you choose to subscribe to, you know, principles and Robert Green and Robert Caldini and uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, there's actually another book that I was I couldn't find before I got up uh, here today, but it's called Range by David Epstein, and it just talks about how people that have a very broad, diverse background. So they were an engineer, they were a realtor, they were now a sales trainer. Now you're, you know, you're a big investor and you're doing podcasting. You have a very like broad range of industries and experiences and things that you've been a part of. And that is a lot more effective than someone who's only been in real estate, because if you've only been in real estate, you have a tendency to conform to the way that it's always been done. When you have a broader approach and you're looking across domains and across history and different things like this. You can often find examples of how people have solved 
in different ways. And you can borrow from those experiences to apply them into your business. And that is a first principle. We call that T-learning versus I-learning. And this is a concept that came out of Stanford. Um, makes us sound super smart to say that, but like that's what we mean is the top 1% is learning how to think like this. They're learning how to think in the T. So just like with Elon Musk, you're trying to go to Mars. It's funny. It may be, look at other industries and let's let's observe what other people have done because no one's ever gone to Mars. We don't have an eye to look in. It's funny you say that because um, there have been conversations recently where like, hey, we're going to be doing this. And like the engineer, like I have flashbacks of my engineer days, like, and you kind of like see around the corner, like, hey, I just want to let you guys know if this is the direction we go, that's fine. But we're probably going to run into this challenge here. And it's just from back in the engineering, project development, dealing with a bunch of big egos, arguing about which is the best way to move forward. It's like there's this, we're going to run into this right around the corner. I'm good with it. I just want you guys to be prepared when this does happen. Mm -hmm. And you're going to experience scrutiny as well, because everyone's going to say, you can't stick with anything. You're jumping around from thing to thing. You went from, you know, you switched your major in college from finance to engineering, and then you got into real estate, and now you're yeah. doing podcasting and sales training, all this stuff. You just can't stick with anything, Steve. Right. And I would it's argue like <laughs> all those things have been immensely helpful in understanding human psychology and making me a better sales trainer. That's right. And you, you're getting range, right? You're yeah. getting perspective. And I, don't, I think another great example of this is our other business partner, Nick Peterson. Yeah. You know, Nick was a, a world, I guess he was like a champion in some way. I forget the specifics, but he was a power lifter right. for a long time. Right. And came the best of the best at that, figured out how to do that. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. Then he jumped over into the the uh, the gym space, right? It's it's funny because if you talk with Nick, he actually knew Alex Hermosi before mm -hmm. he was Alex Hermosi. Set Alex up with a lot of the com you know uh, connections that he has now, and actually Nick came and advised him on Gym Launch, mm -hmm. helped completely turn that business around. Nick had a lot of success in that space as well. And then he was like, "I'm done with this." Yeah. Uh, then he got into the business world. Right. And he consulting for businesses and all these different things. And he became really good at that. And then he got into blockchain and learning how to use DeFi and all this sort of stuff. And I can feel him starting to get, you know, kind of out of that phase a little bit, too. But my point is, it's it's not a bad thing to kind of go from goal is to have range, um, which I believe is really valuable because. uh People have a, a one-sided way of seeing things when you just look in real estate. So again, this is another way of saying if you're starting in real estate or maybe you're trying to move to the next level in real estate, maybe you you know, you got a W-2 and you're trying to get into wholesaling or flipping, or maybe you've been in wholesaling and flipping for a while and now you're trying to get into multifamily or something like that. Well, your first tendency is probably going to be like, how have other flippers made it into wholesaling? Mm-hmm. That's the I. What we're advocating for is like, let's look in the T. Like, how has anyone made a big jump from one thing to another? How did Elon Musk go from PayPal to SpaceX, right? What are these, what can we observe about natural law? What can we do if we look back in history? Oh, how first principles apply in real estate? Are there some basic 
tactical things for someone that's listening, right? For yes. them to go execute first principles. What are what are a few tactical things they can do? I don't know if they're questions or frameworks or this or that to apply first principles to any particular problem that they're solving. First is define your solvable problem. Mm -hmm. So we're actually right in the middle. Well, we, I should say right in the middle. Wednesday was our first call with this most recent group of whales that come into our whale club. And I'll just tell you what we're doing, right? You can replicate this. The folks who join us, they want to be in a community of people that are learning to solve this, but the information is free. We'll just, we'll use this show as a platform to like give it out. Mm -hmm. So this is how it goes. First is we want to compile as much information as we can about what it is that we want, because I'm of the opinion that all of our businesses, all of our investments, all the things that we're doing should all be designed to help us get closer to the life we want on our terms. Right. And another way we say that is like playing our game. So the first thing that you can do is an audit on closer versus more. So these are the wealth commandments. If you're familiar with rigging the game, you can go back and, and you can start with the first four, uh, the first principles that mm -hmm. we, that guide all of our decision making. Yeah. Right? These are the, in my opinion, the, the four that you need to, that you need to know. The first is closer over more. And honestly, that right there will solve a lot of your problems. Does this help me get closer to what I want in life or am I chasing more? And you can do an audit. You have these businesses, you take this action, like, this is what I do throughout the day. Are these actions helping me get closer to the things that I want? Or am I just chasing more? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great, great place to start for if we're attacking a problem, this takes a higher a 30,000 foot view is, is this a problem I actually want to solve? Right? Mm -hmm. Like we got an objective, we got a challenge. Well, before we even try to figure out whether we want to solve this problem is is solving this problem getting us closer to what we want or is this yeah. a problem that yeah we solve it but it actually doesn't serve us in getting closer to where we want to go well let's give an example we use this cheeky example all the time but i just think it hammers the point home it's like we go into real estate because we see an opportunity to retire early so we can get a lot of our life back. Right. Time, freedom. We can, time freedom. And so what we say is like, yeah, I'm building, you know, I'm guilty of this. I'm just going to speak about what I did. So I would tell my wife, we got married uh, two years ago when I was, we were engaged and we got married. It's like, Eliza, I'm doing this for you. <laughs> I'm working all this time, you know, nine, 10, 12 hours a day for you. Can't you see that? Because what I'm doing is I'm going to build this business and I'm going to scale it so that I can hire somebody else. I don't want to, I don't really want to do it. I'm going to hire somebody else. They can come in and run the business. And then within like three to five years, I'll be retired. And then you and I can spend all the time together, right? Mm -hmm. We'll be able to you know, have the kids that we want and we'll be able to uh, dedicate all our time to them, yada, yada, yada. It's like, oh, how many of us are guilty of saying that? Yeah, those, those words sound great. The number of people whose words and actions line up in that regard 
I think I can count on one hand. Yeah. You know, and then fast forward five, seven years later, your business is still unreliable. You're still working this amount of time in the business. And of course, your wife's been like waiting around for five years saying like, are we ever going to get there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately, like I was able to sort of course correct and realize that you can have that now. We don't need to push this off to some future date as if like we're going to get there at some point. Um you know, so that's what closer versus more means to me was like, actually, you were getting further away from the things that you said you wanted, which was time with your wife. You're just justifying it by saying, like, one day, eventually we'll get there and then it'll all be better. I promise. Yeah. One there was a video. It was a really powerful video. Um, the guy, I think Red Steel was the name of the company, but it's a steel company. Right. And the guy sold his company for a billion dollars. Right. I'm doing this for you. And a short time after he sold his company for a billion dollars, his wife left him. Mm. And he was like, I don't understand. I did all this for us. She's like, well, it was 10 to 15 years of you doing this for us that you weren't around. So we just wanted you. We just wanted you. You know, it's like, again, we just make these things up in our head. So first is you got to get clarity on like, what do you actually want? And do that audit of like, but our are you taking actions that are getting you closer to that or further away from that? Right. So the second thing is preference versus binary. And we're just so familiar with that. No, a right or a wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody listening to this show would say that there's a right way to do real estate. Hope not. You know, Um, we understand that, but our brains forget it when presented with a strategy that we think can like, oh, because again, we told our wife like, hey, we're going to be there at some point in the future. And now we're so wired towards someone planting a, you know, an idea in our brain saying like, I can help you do this. If you just do it my way, mm-hmm. you'll get there. So we have to realize that the most, I would say 95 or more percent of the decisions we make in business that I've made at least were not right or wrong. It was preference-based. Is there a right or wrong way is what it is? We need to get a homeowner to sell us the house. Number two is we need to find someone to sell the house too. Right. Is there a right or wrong way to get the homeowner to sell us a house? Definitely no wrong way. There's There might be ways that work better than others sure. and better for certain people than others. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of this was like, yeah, but actually that's even a preference. I don't even have to get a homeowner to sell me a house. Mm-hmm. I just have to get someone who knows the homeowner that's selling the house. Right. I was like, that's why I said you have to find a way to get a property. I didn't say how you had to get the property. Sure. You just have to get well, you have to get inventory and you have to move inventory. Those are our two the fundamental well, and, truths and of real estate. That's what those principles do is that, like it's breaking down all of the assumptions that we're making. We're like making all these assumptions. Mm-hmm. And Elon Musk says screw that, break this down to the base level and we're going to reason up. So define your own preferences. Like, are you, I, a couple of my preferences is I'm not going to build a business where I have to manage more than four people. I'm not going to build a business that requires me to be in Denver. Like that's a preference, right? And so we're designing all of our decisions in light of that. Number three, is that 
I just write this as infinite trade-offs. Every decision we make has an infinite number of trade-offs. Why don't you explain what that means to you? Well, I mean, put simply, uh, anything we say yes to means we're saying no to something else today and potentially in the future, right? Future opportunities that sound really great may not be available to you because you're distracted. And when I say not available to you, it's not a matter of like the opportunity isn't presented to you. I'll give you, or opportunity. I'll give you another example, right? Like there was a time where I was just super, super busy and PropStream reached out to me. They're like, hey, Steve, we like what you're doing with real estate disruptors. We'd like for you to promote us. I look at it, spend very little time looking at, even reviewing. I had no idea who PropStream was, right? Because at that time, they were white labeled everything. This is the first time they went from being a white label service to an actual PropStream. So they reached out to me. I was like, I don't even know what this is. I don't use that. I'm not going to push it. Turns out that was a really expensive mistake, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you hear some of these other uh, guys in the space, they're making multiple six figures a month as affiliates for just PropStream, right? Please. But that's an opportunity that I didn't get to say yes to because I said yes to other things, mm -hmm. right? So talking about infinite trade-offs, there are things, there are opportunities not out of your own volition, but not be, may not even be presented to you or you might not have a chance to evaluate or underwrite it because you're too busy working on what you got in front of you. That's good. Another way of maybe saying this is like, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars and you've been looking for a flip for like five months. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a long time. It's really not. And all of a sudden you're, you're feeling like I got to buy something. I got to buy something because I got to, I got to put this money to work. And you're just, you know, you're so anxious to get into the game that you buy a deal, right? It's kind of like the, the seller that's like desperate at a certain point and they end up selling, mm -hmm. right? Like eventually the pain gets so bad. Well, eventually the pain gets so bad that you buy the first deal that seems like a deal. And then a month later, an amazing opportunity comes up. You said yes to that first deal, which is a mediocre deal, maybe, but you were just so anxious to get in. And now your $100,000 is tied up on that deal. You've, you've just eliminated all other options. I think of this as like opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. So well, Unplanned opportunity cost yeah yes and that's a first principle that's a universal truth that by saying yes to one thing you are theoretically eliminating an infinite number of things you could have said yes to mm -hmm. had you not said yes to that one thing right so we have to hold all of our decisions to account that's sort of the point there is like um if you don't have the life that you want, well, guess what? We have the same time in the day as, as Bezos and Musk and Gates and all these people. It's, I think it's more about the things that we're doing that they're not doing, right? Yeah. We're saying yes to these things. We're opting into these decisions that we think are going to help us get closer to what we want, but they're not. And now our resources are tied up. And so even if a better opportunity came about, we can't take advantage of it because we're so committed to this, you know, decision that we made. Yep. Last one is from, you know, Dan says this is asymmetry to the upside. Mm -hmm. Nassim Nicholas Taleb calls this a barbell. 
The, the famous Stoic philosopher Seneca called it a bimodal strategy for risk domestication. <laughs> so language is, is, a, is an interesting thing, right? But this is a universal truth. What that means is that uh, asymmetry to the upside, what that means is if we can make bets that have a higher upside than they do downside, then more often than not, our decisions will be good, right? We'll have... We'll, we'll make more money um, or we'll have more success and in, in whatever that means for you, right? So if we can look for opportunities where we have asymmetry, that's a good place to start. Let me tell you about a place that I was making bets where I had asymmetry to the downside. I had a wholesaling business that was spending about 40 grand a month. On our best month, we made $80,000 in revenue which means Paul put about 10 grand in his pocket. Oh, 80 grand revenue, 40K spent was 10 grand in your pocket. Yep. I only kept about 10 grand out of that because I was paying all these, you Commissions. know, I had all these operating expenses, but then I had to pay the salespeople and then I got to pay off debt that I had. Really, it was only like, yeah, maybe 10, $15,000 per month when we hit 80 because I had all this overhead. Yeah. So that was my upside. My downside was we just didn't have any deals come in. Like we had a goose egg, which was entirely possible and happened many months. So I would lose. More often than we would like. Yeah. So you tell me, is that asymmetric to the upside or to the downside? Uh, I feel, I wouldn't say it's necessarily asymmetric to the downside, but it's definitely closer to the downside than the upside, right? It, this is what you describe is what most of us entrepreneurs have been doing forever, which is basically like, uh, you're playing blackjack. Some days you're gonna double your money. Some days you don't. Some days you just lose, right? I bet fifty. I might get a hundred. I might get zero, and I'm gonna keep playing this game over and over again. And in the long run, I don't have a lot to show for it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of well, how most business owners run their business, and there's no judgment because we've never been taught otherwise. Yeah. Right. We've always been taught like. Hey, you want to shoot for like 25% profitability. The best operators are like 45%. The worst operators are zero or 10 or whatever. But no one says like, hey, you should only take bets. Right? We could play blackjack and like it was 20. If I bet 25, I get 100 if I win and zero if I lose. That's asymmetric to the upside. Mm -hmm. But the way we run our business, most of us is $50 on the table, 100 if we win because we just get 50 more. And zero if we lose. So either we win 50 or we lose 50. I mean, most of us run our businesses. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, you know, what did I do about that? Well, I switched my business towards, by reasoning from first principles, what I realized was like the number one currency that I wanted more of was relationships. Um, relationships with you, relationships with Dan, relationships with Nick, relationships with Dr. Jeff, relationships with other investors that I'm, you know, colleagues and peers and, um, family, friends, all this type of stuff, right? That's how I get paid. Yeah. And what I realized was there's an, is, there is inherent asymmetry to relationships. Absolutely. Because I look at it as like, what's the downside? You, you, you know, um, usually it's not like losing a bunch of money. I guess I could make a case that you could lose money from relationships, but when I, what I realized was like shifting towards sourcing leads, let's just say, 
sourcing off-market opportunities. The downside with a wholesaling business is that you have all this overhead and maybe you burn out. Maybe you want a month off. Maybe you don't have the quite reliable business yet and you lose money. Those expenses don't take, don't take time off. They don't take time off. But like when you have a business based on relationships, um, I don't pay for relationships. It's just my time that I sacrifice to spend with people. And what I realized was like, I'm willing to trade my time for relationships. Why? Because worst case scenario, I make a friend. Yeah. Best case scenario, I do deals with them and it brings me money. Like that inherently has asymmetry in it right there. And I've been running my business off that for the last year. And we've made more money in the last year than we have like in the two years I was doing this prior because I've just designed it from first principles the way that I define success. Well, I think if I, if I, if I remember correctly in our previous conversation, you made some, some more money year to date in the first five months of 2023 than you did all of 2022. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah, right. Uh, and, it, you know, what Paul's talking about here, the way I interpret it, it, these are first principles for you and your life, right? Which is a lot of what we talk about on Certainty Talks. If we're talking about first principles for, for, for real estate, really, I think most businesses is how do I acquire property? How do I move that property? Or how do I acquire, acquire property? What do I do with that property? It's really it. Right. Um, I think if you're looking at some other um, businesses or other opportunities, um, I think it, it all boils down really to the same thing. And I'm just thinking, like, this is probably true in every industry, right? Like, you look at Best Buy, you look at McDonald's, right? Like, how do I get something to sell? And then how do I sell it? Mm-hmm. And then with that window, with going with the exercises that Paul just talked about, understanding yourself and your preferences, you might find that there's a more optimal way for each person that's watching on how to find a property to do something with and how to figure out what to do with that property. Yeah. So there's a couple ways you guys can go about this. And like, I'm sitting here with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like we all have bookshelves, you know, mm-hmm. like you can go read and read for depth, right. And, and, and breath, right. You're reading the people who are talking about the laws that govern the world. Right. So if you're fans of like Ray Dalio and Robert Greene and Robert Caldini and Daniel Kahneman, these like, Nobel prize winning thinkers, you know, um, if you're a fan of Elon Musk, if you're a fan of Albert Einstein and like the, the things that these people have been able to accomplish, there's a reason why they were able to do that. And it's, it's, I'm pretty sure that's fairly intuitive. Like the way that the top 1% thinks is different than the the 99%. So I encourage everybody, like if you if you want to start thinking like the one percent, I do. I'm trying to figure out how to think like those guys and reason and, and and run my businesses like that. I'm still learning, just like you are. Absolutely. But this is the process to do it. Is you have to study these things. And what I love about what Dan did is he just kind of took everything that's in all these books and summarized it in rigging the game. Yeah. If you want to rig the game. You got a reason from first principles. 
And the, the way you do that, he outlines in what he calls the certainty operating system. So if you can learn to implement really those, those two concepts, the solvable problem and the certainty operating system, you can start rigging the game just like Elon Musk. And that was the title of this show. That was the point we were trying to make here is that, you know, we learned a lot of this from proximity to Bill Gates and how he did it. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk does the same thing. You want to learn how to do that stuff and shortcut the way to get, you know, your business on your terms. You got to have a way to implement first principles in your life. And I think that's, that's sort of the, the summary of it. That's exactly it. So um, are you still doing the, uh, the, the comp- compile the case studies case calls? I am. And I'm loving it. Uh, it's been fantastic. I've been able to, I think we're going to probably start recording some of these mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm, I'm essentially just listening to people tell me what they're dealing with in their business. They're trying to get to the next level. Maybe they ha- don't quite have a reliable business and they feel stuck. They don't know exactly what to do. Well, I'm giving them these first principles. Here's something you can try. Take this tool. Let's talk about it and go implement it inside of your business. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been fantastic. The feedback has been incredible. So I'm just going to keep doing them until I decide I don't want to do them anymore. Yeah. So yeah, if you guys are wanting to learn some first principles, you can go pick up rigging the game. You can read through that, but I would encourage you, you know, set up a time with me You can go to realestatecertainty.com and click on that certainty strategy session. And I'll just spend 45 minutes with you problem solving this stuff, helping you define your solvable problem, helping you build a business around your, you know, on your terms, using these tools and principles. There's only so much I can cover in 45 minutes, but I try to just give as much as I can on these calls. And, you know, I really look forward to them. So I hope that if you're listening to this, I encourage you go to realestatecertainty.com and and set that up with me. I'm doing it completely free. Uh, and they, you know, they've been beneficial for me and beneficial for the people I've been doing with. So hope to see you guys on there. Awesome. Very cool. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show and we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everyone.